We're continuing our Ascent series, which is nearly a year-long study on the book of Acts. And my name is Dan, and I'm, as I said, the group's pastor around here, and I get to take us into Acts chapter 10. And I say I get to because Acts 10 really is one of my favorite chapters in the entire book. Because as we look at Acts 10, it is one of the clearest chapters in all the Bible, I think, that tells us what God's heart is like towards every person and what his character is like as well. But before we get into that, will you bow your heads and pray with me? Gracious God, thank you for time to gather as a church family and to look at your word. And God, as we look at Acts chapter 10 today, I pray, um, well, God, we lean on your promise that your word does not return void, that you will accomplish what you set your word to do. So God, I pray that as we, as we look at this passage and as we look at the characters and as we see your heart for people in this, that you will reveal in our own hearts, whatever it is that you want to reveal. Reveal the ways that you have been working in our hearts. Reveal the ways that you desire to do a greater work in our hearts. And reveal how you desire to do a work through us where you already have us. God, I pray that you guide our conversation today. We trust you for this. And it's in your precious, powerful, and holy name that we pray. Amen. So jumping right in. At verse 1, Luke writes in Acts chapter 10, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who had spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. From Acts chapter 8 through Acts chapter 10, we see the expansion of the gospel message like ripples from a rock that was thrown into a lake. What started in Jerusalem moved first to Samaria, then to a dusty desert road, and from there it moved to the hard heart of a zealous Pharisee. And in, as, we, as we step into Acts chapter 10... Luke takes our story north to the far eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea to the massive port city of Caesarea. And in order for us to fully grasp what's about to happen, I think it's important that we think both historically and geographically about this. Because the city of Caesarea was extremely influential in its day. It was built by King Herod the Great, and so it was inside of Israel on the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea, like I already said. But by this point in history, Rome had taken over what they thought was the known world. And because Caesarea was so influential along trade routes because of the size of its port, it was also a very strategic place for Rome to hold on to. And because of that, they regularly stationed thousands upon thousands of Roman soldiers in the city, to the point that it became the administrative capital for the empire in this eastern region. And when we put all of those things together, 
The fact that it was in Israel would mean that there were Jewish people living in the city. The fact that Rome had taken it over, made it the administrative capital, means that there were thousands of Romans who lived in the city. And the fact that it was so influential as far as trade goes means that merchants from all over the rest of the world would regularly move in and out of this city. And so when we have all three of those groups living in the same massive city, we can start to see how much of a Gentile city this is, how, much, how most of the population here are not following the Jewish God, the one true God. But in the midst of this massive city, Luke focuses, focuses us on one particular man who I think is one of the most unlikely men in the city to be considered devout. You see, Cornelius was a centurion. And a centurion um, was the leader of a hundred or so Roman soldiers. This wasn't a particularly prestigious position, but it was a vital role in the Roman military. And because it was such a vital role, um, centurions were chosen very, very carefully. You had to be a man of character. You had to be a man who could, who could lead others. And so for Cornelius to be a centurion is no small thing. By today's standards, he was more or less middle management, if you want to kind of put it that way. And so as an Italian-born Roman centurion living in Caesarea, inside of Israel, Cornelius was essentially an assistant to the regional manager. And what is perhaps the most interesting part of all of this? is the fact that Luke points out that Cornelius and his whole family were devout and God-fearing. And what that means when they say God-fearing is means that they simply, they revered the God of the Jews. But for this family, they revered him so much that Cornelius was known as a man of prayer and generosity. And the fact that he was praying at three o'clock in the afternoon suggests that Cornelius prayed along the Jewish rhythms of the day. Because there were three prescribed times that Jewish people would stop whatever they were doing and would pray. There was a morning, there was a midday at three o'clock, and then there was an evening prayer. And so this tells us that while, this suggests rather, that while Cornelius is praying like he does every day, at three o'clock, he has an experience unlike he's ever had before as he receives this vision of an angel who shows up and gives him a very clear message. And this angel says, hey, Cornelius, what your devotion to prayer and your generosity to people in need, God has seen those. And so what he's essentially saying is, hey, Cornelius, God sees you and he knows your heart. Now, we don't have Cornelius' backstory, and I really, I really wish we did. Because, as, because somewhere along the way, this Roman centurion who was born in Italy becomes battle-hardened somewhere, meets the one true God, and it's enough to shake him out of his worship of the false Roman gods like Mars and Saturn and Venus and Juno and Jupiter and countless others. And as Cornelius learned about the one true God, he started living out his growing faith through prayer and generosity. 
And all throughout the Old Testament, we see God calling his people to care for those who are in need. And whether Cornelius knew the Old Testament scriptures or not, he started living out Hosea 6.6, which says, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Look, from the very beginning, God has always been far more concerned about the heart of his people than the offerings, the sacrifices that they would offer. And what we see in Cornelius' story is an example of the mysterious ways that the Holy Spirit works in the hearts and the lives of people who are open to him. And as the gospel message is spreading through Judea and Samaria, the Holy Spirit is already at work in the heart and the family of a Gentile in Caesarea. And Cornelius' vision was direct, and it was clear. This angel told him, God sees you. God knows your heart. And because of that, he wants you to send some men to this place named Joppa to find a guy named Peter who's staying in a house on the coast. And because Cornelius was so accustomed to following orders, as soon as the vision was done, he does exactly that. And he, send, he selects two servants and one of his military attendants and sends them, says, hey, go find this guy at this house in this city. And if the name Joppa, if the city Joppa sounds familiar to you, like I said, it's important that we think historically and geographically. Joppa was the name of the city that the Old Testament prophet Jonah ran to when God called him to go to a different Gentile city. But that's getting ahead of our story. Let's look at verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. And so once again, as the scene cuts over to Peter, Luke is very intentional to tell us that he was praying at noon. And while Cornelius was praying during one of the prescribed Jewish times at three o'clock in the afternoon, Peter was not. And realistically, the times that they were praying doesn't matter at all. What Luke wants his audience to see is that Peter and Cornelius, as different as they may seem ethnically, are both men devoted to prayer. And just like Cornelius, Peter also receives a vision, although it is a lot weirder and a lot less clear. Because according to Luke, while Peter is praying and really hungry, he just sees this massive sheet let down that's filled with animals. But the fact that Luke tells us they were four-footed animals, reptiles, and birds tells us that a lot of these animals, if not all of them, were animals that Jews would consider unclean. Animals that God had told them not to consume. Now, a lot of scholars believe that, uh, based around the language that Luke uses here, that there were both clean 
and unclean animals on this sheet. And here's why this matters. Jewish dietary laws were given to God's people, given to the Israelites as a way to distinguish them out from other nations. It was a way to distinguish them specifically as his people. And realistically, every single law that God gave his people was intended to help his people live in a right relationship with him and also show his character to other nations. Let me, let me uh, explain this a little bit for you. Um, when we look at the Old Testament, we see three different categories of Jewish law. There's civil law, which is how Israelites and foreigners are to live together inside the borders of Israel. We also see ceremonial law, and this is how God's people, the Israelites, are to remain pure before him, how they're able to remain in right relationship with him. This is where those dietary laws fit in, and a whole lot of other ones. But then there's also a third category of moral laws. And these moral laws are, um, they're born out of the holy nature of God. And they are designed to show us how to live lives that honor God through respecting others, through seeking justice according to God's definitions, and through sexual purity. And these moral laws are meant for all people. And so... As Peter has this vision, God is showing him through this vision, hey, you no longer have to hold yourself to the ceremonial standard because of the finished work of Jesus. And as much as this vision seems like it's all about food, the fact of the matter is it really wasn't about food at all. It's all about people. And Peter is just about to learn that. And so Peter, he hears this voice say, hey, pick, get up, pick whatever you want, kill it and eat it. And because Peter has the Old Testament law written on his heart, he refuses to touch and consume anything that is unclean. But the voice calls back clearly, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And to Peter, this probably sounded like God was nullifying the Jewish dietary laws. But the fact of the matter is that this vision, this sheet that contains so much food, wasn't about food at all. It's about God's attitude and his heart for all people. And so continuing, uh, jumping down to verse 19, We read what happens next. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to them, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jews. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And so then Peter invites these three strangers into the house, his friend's house, by the way, for them to stay the night. And the very next morning, these three, plus Peter, plus a handful of other Jewish followers, all leave this house and make the 30 to 32 mile trek up the coast from Joppa to Caesarea. And as they approach Cornelius' home, Because Cornelius is expecting them and he's waiting for them, he sees them coming, he runs out and he falls at Peter's feet. 
But Peter puts a stop to that right away, essentially by grabbing him by the shoulders and saying, hey, cut it out. I'm a man just like you are. And then, he, then Peter asked Cornelius, why did you send these guys to, to come and find me? And at this point, Cornelius replays the whole thing, the prayer, the vision, and even down to the details of, I knew you were in this house because of what this angel said, and it was this spot by the sea, like all these different things. And somewhere between Peter's vision and that moment, Peter started to, Peter finally realized what God had been trying to tell him. And let's look at it in verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Everything that Peter thought he knew about the people of God was turned on its head in a matter of days as Peter realized that Jesus was not sent just for Jewish people. Jesus was sent for everyone. And as Peter realized this, that the good news of Jesus is for everyone, it was a glass-shattering, life-changing moment for him. And so in observing Cornelius, Peter does something really smart and really, really simple. He starts telling the story of Jesus. He didn't go all the way back to Abraham and Moses like Stephen did in Acts 7. He started where Cornelius already was, and he kept it simple because he saw that as devout as Cornelius was, and as, even though he was trying his hardest to follow God, he realized that Cornelius was missing Jesus. And so he kept it straightforward and simple, saying, look, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He went around healing people and doing good through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he died on the cross for the sins of all mankind, And three days later, God raised him from the dead, and now he wants everybody to know about it. And for those of us here today who are followers of Jesus, this should be really, really encouraging when we think of our own evangelism, when we think of conversations that we have with people at school or people at work or people at the gym. Because Peter didn't complicate it. He didn't bring in all the Old Testament laws and prove how Jesus fulfilled all of those. He started where Cornelius was, and he simply told the story of Jesus. He told the good news of Jesus, and he let God take care of the rest. Because the fact of the matter is, the story of Jesus is good news for all people. And when you and I, when we hear that through the filter of Acts chapter 10, we start thinking ethnically like Peter was learning to. And we should think ethnically because Jesus died for all sins of all people all over the world, period. No, no ifs, ands, ors, or buts about it. No distinctions. He did it for all people. But I think in our 2023 American context, we should really take a look at this individually as well. 
because we don't always treat the good news of Jesus like it is good news for everyone. And what I mean by that is that most of us, if we're being honest, we would really like to pick and choose who gets in and who doesn't. Obviously, we want our friends and our families to get into the kingdom of God, but the people who annoy us or who don't act the way that we think they should, well, we're okay if they're out. Or we think the people who follow the laws of God that we think are really important are absolutely in. But if somebody does something different, well, I, I don't know if they're, they're really in. Or we think that if somebody struggles with the same kind of sin, um, patterns of sin that we do, well, that's just human nature. And obviously, Jesus' sacrifice was enough to cover that. But if somebody struggles with something different, well, I don't, I don't really know if Jesus died for that sin too. And like, there are so many Christians in our country today that even will suggest that someone with a different political point of view couldn't even be a follower of Jesus. But guys, we don't get to choose. We don't get to decide, and we don't even have a say in the judgment. According to Peter in verse 42, that job belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone. And he makes it extremely clear. Look at verse 43. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And as Peter is telling the story of the good news of Jesus, every single Gentile in Cornelius' house that day is instantly filled with the Holy Spirit as God welcomes them fully into the family of God. Look, Luke made a point to tell us that Cornelius and his family were devout and generous. But all their generosity and all their good works were not enough to put them in a right relationship with God. It wasn't until this moment when they recognized and accepted that Jesus Christ is their Savior and they placed their faith in him that they were welcomed fully into the body of Christ. Look, the whole, this whole story about Cornelius and Peter tells us that God loves all people regardless of race, gender, political affiliation, or any other label we think might matter. Because all people are made in God's image. And that tells us two really important things. One, it tells us that any of us who have no Jewish heritage are actually able to be a part of the family of God and part of the, part of the kingdom of God. But two, and I would say this is even more important than that, is it tells us that there is no room in our lives or in the church for any type of favoritism or any type of prejudice at all. That's what Paul is saying in Galatians chapter three when he writes, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Acts 10 also tells us that our works can never be enough. And many of us want to be able to save ourselves. We want to be independent and responsible for our own salvation. But as we look at Acts chapter 10, we have to accept the fact that there is no way 
our works can get us into a right relationship with God. Ephesians chapter 2 says it this way, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So in the same way that this story about Cornelius and Peter tells us that God loves all people regardless of race or anything else, it tells us that God loves all people regardless of their past as well. And these are elements of God's character for which we should praise him and worship him daily. Because regardless of anything you have done and regardless of any mistake I've made in my life, any sinful act of rebellion in my own life, God is constantly pursuing us to be in relationship with us. New Testament professor and theologian N.T. Wright says, it's not the case that God simply accepts us as we are. He invites us as we are, but responding to that invitation always involves complete transformation, which is acted out through repentance, forgiveness, baptism, and receiving the Holy Spirit. Essentially, what Dr. Wright is saying right here is that God loves you so much that he, he, can't leave, he won't leave you in your sin. Because as we respond to that invitation, there is a death to self that is required. Jesus talked about that himself. Because God loves us too much to leave us right where he finds us. And this is exactly what we see in Acts 10, because once the Holy Spirit comes on Cornelius and all the other people in his house, Peter says, there's no reason that these People that these brothers and sisters cannot be baptized with water. There's no reason to keep them out of the family of God. And so they get water and they baptize the family. And this is, this is something that we read over almost too fast because we have to remember that Cornelius was a Roman military officer. And as he and his whole family go through, follow Jesus obediently in baptism, they are making a declaration of their allegiance to Jesus over their allegiance to Caligula, the emperor. And remember, Cornelius is middle management Roman military. This is no small thing for him to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and the emperor is not. And Peter and these Jewish followers of Jesus got to be firsthand witnesses as God readily welcomed these Gentiles into the family of God. And so today, if you're on the fence about this invitation that God constantly extends to us, and you want to have a conversation about it, please come down front. Don't let fear, insecurity, or your schedule get in the way of that. Me, Jerry, uh, or anybody else, we would love to talk to you about it. Or if you have questions about baptism and why we practice baptism, we would love to talk to you about that as well. You already heard Jerry say that those are coming up in a couple weeks. Because when we look at the book of Acts, we see baptism as a vital practice of the first century church, and it's still a vital practice of the church today. Because as we follow Jesus in obedience into baptism, 
We are making a public declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. I am choosing to die to my sin so that I may be raised to life in Christ. So if you are on the fence about any of those, let nothing stand in your way of coming forward to have a conversation, to get your questions answered. And just like Cornelius and his family, as they declared that Jesus was Lord and Caligula, the emperor, was not. We see the expansion of the kingdom of God into unexpected places. Gracious God, thank you for today. Thank you for Acts chapter 10 and what we see of your heart in this passage that your heart is for all people and it is undeniable. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your finished act that covers over our sin. And so God, as we, in moments as we go from this place, I pray that your word will continue to stir in our hearts and that you will reveal to us the things that we need to hear from you in order that we can live a life that better reflects your love, your grace, and your character to those around us. Amen.